what mistakes taught me the most about life? Man, you, we get to the, uh, the, the serious ones early. Uh, the, I, I would say the, the biggest mistakes, uh, well, all mistakes teach you something every step of the way. I mean, that's the way the Lord works. He's always, uh, you know, like iron, iron sharpens iron, right? Man sharpens man. Uh, we, we work through those mistakes. We know God's shaping us every step of the way. But I think the single biggest uh, mistake that impacted uh, my journey as a man had everything to do with understanding healthy relationships. Uh, as, as anyone that knows my story knows I grew up in a violent alcoholic home. I wouldn't have known a healthy relationship if it hit me between the eyes. In fact, you, you as in many inner cities, I, I think it's the same way. You build up a wall around relationships because there's only so many people you can trust or maybe you just don't trust anybody. And you build up a wall so that you don't have uh, you don't have that vulnerability uh, that would might might uh, catch you on a weak in a, you know, in a, in a might catch you at a weak moment or might give you a, a, one of those shots in the soft underbelly that knocks you over. Uh, so I grew up uh, really in a, a pretty druggy high school, uh, but I had that wall built up as a jock. We had jocks and we had the druggies. And uh, so as an athlete, I stayed away from that and put that wall up there. But I also put the wall up around uh, potential friends. And I, I look back now, even on into adulthood, and I, I look at the relationships that the Lord probably brought into my life that could have helped me get me straight earlier on, <laughs> uh, maybe before the wake-up call and almost losing my family, you know, that type of thing, uh, versus you know what, what could have been. And uh, so fortunately, I met the, 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 my love of my life in, in uh, junior college, and uh, we, we knew we were right for each other, and, and she uh, was the first real relationship that, uh, that I knew I wanted to uh, have lifelong, I wanted to commit to. And I really, uh, when we married several years later, we dated for three and a half years. We married in uh, October of 1980. I never met, meant any words more uh, sincerely than I do because I had seen five divorces in the family that I grew up in. And I told her early on I didn't want to be the sixth. <laughs> in fact, when she went to Oklahoma City to Oklahoma State University to wrap up her degree and the University of Kansas picked me up, I said, uh, make sure over these two years that you uh, look around. If you can find somebody to take better care of you, uh, then uh, you know, do that. But I didn't say better looking. I just said, don't. If you, if you can find somebody to take better care of you, do that. Because I do not want to be the sixth divorce. When we get married, we're going to stay together. And uh, so, but in those years, even, even after we married, uh, I was still very guarded in any other relationships that I had. And uh, really, it wasn't until my uh, mid-30s that I started, uh, the Promise Keepers movement came along and uh, started to introduce me to men of God that could really be real. And uh, uh, that's, uh, so those were the things that the, the Lord has done over the years uh, to, uh, you know, I, I, I probably protected myself some, from some things because of the uh, walls I built up protecting myself from drugs, protecting myself from bad, potentially bad situations through school uh, and through growing up. But uh, at the same time, uh, I probably uh, cheated myself out of some relationships. Uh, I'm so uh, blessed to see my children uh, have tremendous uh, relationships, lifelong friends 
from college. And, uh, and I just didn't have that. I didn't have it. I, I've, I've had it now since adulthood. Uh, you know, at one point, I think it was uh, in the mid-90s at a Promise Keepers conference, they said, how many men can you call at 1 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, let's go have a cup of coffee. I'm struggling with something. And he said, most men can count that uh, number of men they can call on one hand. And I didn't have any. And uh, so that's 30 plus years ago. And today I've got easily many friends that I could call because the Lord's opened that up. But there's a, a, there's a long journey, and I think it's a mistake if we uh, don't understand and really uh, delve in understanding what a healthy relationship looks like. And that's always tough in a, because I, as, as I grew up a violent alcoholic home, ma divorced dad, uh, you know, these, there's a lot of confusion in homes today. And I think as men, we have to take responsibility to study what a healthy relationship looks like. And of course, that's in Scripture. Uh, that's, it's my relationship with Jesus the Christ that's opened up the door to learn how to love my bride and to learn how to love others and to understand that relationships are all about being available, being uh, uh, service-minded, being, you know, being willing to help in any situation, and being vulnerable to ask for help. So uh, these are the things that, uh, as men, we tend to blast through while we're trying to be successful in a given profession. So again, my, I would say that's probably one of my biggest mistakes, is not uh, delving into what a healthy relationship would look like earlier in life. Uh, so that's my encouragement today. Watch out for uh, that, that uh, breakdown in relationships that could uh, get in the way of your relationship with Christ and uh, your eternal salvation. What was one of the hardest moments of being a father and why was it hard? Uh, well, because I thought I had it by the tail. <laughs> I thought I, you know, I knew what I didn't want to be and that was like my dad, the dad that, I didn't want to be like the dad that raised me, so I just went the opposite direction. Uh, why was it hard was because I, I simplified it very much so. I put fathering in a box of being able to provide financially, which my dad that raised me couldn't do and uh, I wanted to be a disciplinarian which my dad did very well I just didn't want to do it quite as physically as he did uh, but but shoving fathering in a box uh, I realized that I hadn't learned again really how to love and uh, that's you know we we think as men we think we know what love is when we get married and and I can I can just share uh, a glimpse of God's glory, a glimpse of God's glory in, uh, uh, in the realization that, uh, man, I, I just tell you, that, uh, 43 years into marriage, I love my bride more now than the day we married. Why? Well, number one is because she's wonderful. Number two is that uh, I've learned how to love. I've learned, I'm learning more how, how to love more like Christ today than yesterday. Uh, so that's, uh, so as a father, uh, was I truly loving my children by providing and being disciplinarian? And uh, I would say that was, a, that was my uh, a breakdown as a father because, number one, uh, I thought I had it. Number one, I thought it was a confidence in ignorance. <laughs> and then secondly was that my kids weren't catching really what I wanted them to catch, which was the love I had for them, which which was pointing to the love the Heavenly Father has for them, right? So uh, I fell short, and that's, uh, that's where 
uh, as a father, uh, I really encourage dads to, uh, you know, we, we look at, uh, I think it's First Timothy 5.8 says that we're to be, uh, provide for our family. If we don't provide, then we're worse than a non-believer. Well, that provision is uh, multi-dimensional. You know, as a dad, again, I simplified it in saying that just means financial provision. Well, no, we're supposed to be bearer of divine blessings. We're supposed to be a teacher. We're supposed to be a priest in the home. You know, there's multiple dimensions that we bring to the table, which all of it adds up to unconditional love for our children. And so as a, as a dad and, and as a father, I was completely missing that. And in missing it, I really wasn't providing the example even in my marriage day to day. And so, you know, the, the most important thing we do in, our, in, in marriage for our children is exemplify uh, the love that Christ had for his church. And that's the way we love our wife. And, and then, of course, the closest thing to our relationship with Christ in the physical is that day-to-day -day example of loving our brides in the home. That's what the kids catch. That's the love the, the children see, and that's the love that we want them to catch. So it's, it's all about uh, how I almost missed the opportunity to point my children to Christ because I was able to provide financially and discipline them. And uh, that just isn't the role of a father. And uh, so as I uh, learned a little bit more and, and understood that our job was truly to emulate our Heavenly Father, that if He cared enough to send His Son to be with us physically, then we ought to prioritize our physical presence in the home. If he cared enough to send us the counselor, then we ought to be engaged with our children emotionally uh, in the home. And then finally, if he provided his book, uh, the Bible, uh, to guide us spiritually, then we need to lead spiritually by example. So through all that journey and uh, trying to shove fathering in the box, uh, our Heavenly Father worked on me to understand that it was all about emulating Him, His triune nature in the home by prioritizing my physical presence, being engaged emotionally, and leading spiritually by example. That's what we call being a faithful father. How are dads supposed to spend time with God with so much, so many responsibilities, so much going on? Uh, Nike said it best, just, just do it. Uh, just do it. I, I, I'm an early morning person. I'll just share my example. I mean, I, when I had a special project uh, in the corporate world, uh, I had to write a technical paper or something like that. I got up at four o'clock before I left at work for work at six o'clock. So if we're going to do it in the corporate world, we can do it in the spiritual world. And so when I was charged by my pastor 35 years, 30 plus years ago, uh, to read the Word of God, I got up an hour plus earlier every morning, read a couple of chapters, started in Romans and worked all the way through Jude, went back to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the Acts, and then back to Genesis and all the way through uh, to Revelation. And as I did that, that was just, that took a couple of years, but it was just a matter of getting up an hour and a half or so earlier every morning. And I would read, I would journal, I would pray, I would then go on a walk or a run and just let it soak in and then I'd go to work. So that, that's, if, if you're convicted, whatever your window of time is as a, as a priority to, to uh, as your productive time, then uh, create that time and, uh, and, and take that word in. And uh, if nothing else, uh, one other thing that I would suggest uh, is a friend of mine, uh, Ted Cooper, founded a ministry called Bible in 90 Days. And uh, that's something my bride and I took on. 
and we actually did a, a Sunday school class in our church on the Bible in 90 days. But I tell you what, if you just want to make it through Scripture, uh, that's 12 pages a day in his program. And you and your bride are reading the same word the same day, every day. Uh, it'll do wonders for your marriage, but it'll also take you through Scripture, and then it'll make you hungry to go back and get more. So uh, my encouragement is, uh, again, follow that Nike uh, guidance and just do it. Just uh, man up, be the dad you're called to be, and do it. Our dad's supposed to find community when everyone has so many responsibilities. I, you, you have to think of what community is. What is community? It can be a battle buddy. It can be a brother. It can be uh, one other man. Uh, it may be a church. It may be a group of men in the church. It may be a group of men at work. Uh, so back up a little bit and, and, and think about what the community is that you want to get involved in. Uh, and as you look at that, and, and like I said, it, it may just be a, a, a good friend. It may be an acquaintance. It may be someone that you've uh, kind of admired from a distance, maybe an elder in the church, and you just like to get to know him better. Then, then approach that gentleman and say, hey, would you like to meet me for lunch uh, or a breakfast? And, and during that breakfast, say, uh, I really would like to have a sounding board. Uh, and I, you, I've been praying about uh, the Lord bringing a man in my life. Would you uh, be interested in being that sounding board for me as I work through this time in my life? You know, so you can be as candid or as real as you want to be. That may be a little bit too uh, personal and in-depth uh, right out of the box. If you're looking for something a little more uh, casual, I would say find your, uh, your, your, uh, uh, your, your, your bent, your hobby. Is it hunting? Is it, you know, I, a lot of fellows have some great fellowship and community on a deer lease. Uh, it, it may be uh, in a sport or a golfing outing. And then those brothers just, the key is don't just go and, and, and uh, this isn't a time where you're, you're going to go have fun and just kick back and drink beer and what have you. That's not, the, uh, that's not the objective of this community that I'm talking about. This community is actually a supportive community, not meaning necessarily in a counseling mode, but in a uh, friendship mode. And uh, at the end of the day, I think men are, are starving for friends. I know I was. And uh, as, as I began to allow myself to be more vulnerable with uh, a couple of men, I found it easier with a larger group of men. So it, it may be a matter of some one-on-one -on -one friendships that you want to nurture, but uh, I do want to encourage you to be intentional in going to find those guys. Uh, again, it may be someone that's in your circles now. It may be someone that's not. It may be, uh, like I said, a gentleman at church. It might be a peer in their workplace. Uh, those, those are the things that you uh, want to seek out. And, and uh, again, just I would encourage a couple of things. One is to be praying about it. <laughs> uh, prayer is always uh, the most powerful means that we have to start a new relationship because it's about our relationship with Christ that allows us to pray to begin with. Uh, but then secondly is to keep your ears open and your eyes open to that guy that says, you know, uh, nobody's going to be perfect, but there may be someone that uh, you just admire as far as being knowledgeable in the Word of God possibly, or just uh, proficient in, in your area of expertise and you just want to know a little bit more about him. Uh, because usually when someone is disciplined in one area of their life to be successful, then they're going to be disciplined in other areas of their lives as well. So, uh, but again, uh, understand that 
a lot of times the first effort isn't the best effort in the uh, in the successful effort, but uh, but there are several ways you can go about it. One on one, one on you know find three or four buddies uh, with common interests, or uh, a group in the church, a Sunday school, or a, a group of dads in the church, and uh, certainly. Uh, as faithful fathers, there's studies out there of dads becoming heroes. If there's a couple of young dads you want to team up with, that's a great way to start uh, with that kind of fellowship because you have a common interest of being the best dad you can be, and then you have an opportunity to work through a study that's going to open you up a little bit. So uh, it's, 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 uh, it's not an easy journey uh, to build that community, but it is uh, from, from this Old gentleman, I'll just share that it's one of the most significant things I ever did to find that first friend and then a group of friends and then larger groups. My wife is dealing with depression and, and anxiety. How do I stay strong and healthy to fulfill her needs when she can't fulfill mine? You know, this, uh, when, when men think about marriage, they don't, uh, when they first married, they don't see beyond the, the better, the health and the richness of the being rich. Uh, but it's actually for better or worse in, sick, in sickness or in health and uh, for richer or poorer. Uh, so there's no guarantees that everything is going to stay rosy and in fact I can tell you that it won't <laughs> if you're young married uh, just that's realization. Uh, there will be challenges and that's part of the journey of marriage that's the health uh, of that relationship and uh, but one thing that we always have to recognize as men that uh, our marriage is Christ's relationship with the church. And what did Christ do? Uh, he gave himself up for her. So once we realize that we're supposed to die for our wives, everything else pretty well falls into line. Uh, but there's also a thing in there called selflessness. And I think uh, we're, we're selfless in our love and our unconditional love for our brides. So there isn't anything about our needs that we need to be concerned with because we're, we're needless. In this situation, we're selfless, and uh, so what men need sometimes is some selfless improvement, uh, meaning that it's it's about being more Christ-like. There isn't anything about self-satisfaction or or payback or equal time or anything along those lines. Uh, what we uh, what we have to do is live into that. Now, in this particular situation where you're dealing with depression and anxiety. Uh, obviously, uh, counseling is highly recommended, and uh, there are professional. I always like here in Houston. Uh, there's a Houston Center for Christian Counseling. Uh, nationally, uh, focus on the family or family life. We'll have a network of counselors available, Christian counselors that will help you through this. Counseling is not a stigma of problems. It's a it's a tool. It's a resource to uh, help us draw closer to Christ, to have that strength that we're promised. In the power of the resurrected Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you have what you need, husband, to love your wife unconditionally. Now, the world tries to distract us from that. We get tired. We get worn down. Uh, it's just the reality of the situation. So the counseling will help undergird you in that area. Uh, I would all, you know, whether it's counseling, uh, professional counseling, or whether it's counseling support from your church, these are things that you can do to uh, to to step into this situation a little more uh, intentionally, uh, with a little more education, and uh, to be there for your bride as you need to be, because she needs your light. You're the light in her life, and that's the light that's going to blast through the anxiety and the depression that's trying to uh, envelop her. 
So uh, what you have to do, what my encouragement is, is identify the shadows that have uh, possibly created the anxiety and the uh, depression and blast your life through those shadows as best you can. And, uh, and get your bride that support as well. There may be uh, counseling and, and uh, women available in the church that have been through that valley. I guarantee you there have been marriages in your circles that have been through that valley. Uh, connect with those. This is not a time to be a Lone Ranger husband and a Lone Ranger dad. Uh, it's a time to find those support groups and, uh, and those battle buddies that'll be praying for you, but then also that'll uh, physically and emotionally come beside you and give you that strength and clarity through this time because it's uh not like uh not like ra uh, not unlike raising children that you may think that you've uh, you've raised one child so the next one's going to be easy no we we're facing everybody's facing these situations in their marriage or with their child with that child for the first time so find that support group to uh help provide some insight and some clarity to help you make healthy decisions